Yeah, what's up, everybody? Great show on dirt live from the world renowned Sweet Bee Studios. I'm your host, Quentin, aka Q Dog, aka Pop Tart King of the South. Cherry is the name of the game. How is everybody? Saturday. That is what's going on right now. It is Saturday. Shoot, September 7th. Oh, we are about a month out from playoff baseball. Super stoked about that. I'm drying out at the moment. There's no alcohol in my body because I've got to prep my body for the heartbreak of the Chicago Cubs either losing a wild card game or just not making the playoffs altogether. So we're prepping for that. You know what I mean? This isn't like an alcohol anonymous thing. I'm not trying to like right the ship or anything like that, right? This ship is just going to sink right into the ground. One keystone line at a time, my friend. So bring the heat. Prepare to be heartbroken. If your team is the Houston Astros, St. Louis Cardinals, Los Angeles Dodgers, Atlanta Braves, who right now are the Braves, yo, are the, probably the hottest team in baseball right now. Hey, things are looking up for you, man. Get ready to crack some champagne because everything will be all right. Did you know that? I didn't really realize how good the Atlanta Braves have been in the second half, but I believe the Atlanta Braves have the best record in baseball Definitely in the second half, and I'm wanting to say maybe since like June or July 1st or something like that, man, they are rolling on all cylinders. One of the cool things about the Atlanta Braves is Ronald Acuna, he's going to get close to a 40-40 season, which is huge 40 home runs and 40 stolen bases. All right, so check these numbers out, man. Regarding the Atlanta Braves, so since so from June 1st until end of day yesterday, the most wins in Major League Baseball are the Houston Astros. 39 wins, 18 losses. Not a huge surprise there because, well, I mean, it's the Astros. <laughs> what do you want to do, right? Second since July 1st, and it's a, it's really like a three-way tie with the amount of wins. So the Cardinals, the Braves, and the Yankees all have 38 wins since July 1st, but the Braves only have 19 losses. So really... Based on win percentage, your top two teams in baseball since July 1st, which is quite a big sample size, it's the Astros at 39-18, and and then the Braves one game behind at 38-19. and Dude, they are loaded. And a lot of this dude is led by Ronald Acuna. Like, I've watched a pretty good amount of Atlanta Braves baseball this year because being in the Carolinas, I can watch them on my TV, right? So I don't have to fiddle with, like, the app and going through, like, my smart TV, whatever, right? And plus, there's a little bit of, like, nostalgia that comes with watching the Atlanta Braves um, because being a kid, right? Like, I was always a Cubs fan, but I'd always watch a lot of Braves baseball, too, because the Braves would win and then the Cubs would always lose, right? So it's sort of like, how can I describe this? I mean, I always use beer analogies. But the Chicago Cubs are like a really cheap beer, like a Keystone Light, where it's sort of just like you've had a rough week. It's Thursday night. You sort of want to do something to harm yourself, but you don't want to like fully off yourself. So get some Keystone Light and get a really good hangover, right? But the Atlanta Braves, they're like a really smooth like bourbon, definitely a single barrel aged in like some hickory barrels or however you like your whiskey or your bourbon. And it's sort of like that upscale stuff, you know, like the Cubs are Taco Bell and the Braves were sort of like um, Taco John's. If you know what Taco John's is, if you don't, um, really good tacos, right? And so, but there's a certain nostalgia that I like with the Atlanta Braves. Oh, God bless your hearts. You guys got about 33 minutes of this. Strap it in and sit tight, kids. Dude, so... I mean, all those old Atlanta Braves teams, dude, like of the 90s, Terry Pendleton, when he came over from St. Louis, Ron Gant, Dave Justice, Fred McGriff, Mark Lemke, Jeff Blauser, Ryan Klesko, Andrew Jones, Chipper Jones, bring the heat, dude, good team, man. 
So needless to say, I watched a little bit of Atlanta Braves baseball. But I had I really didn't fully understand what Ronald Acuna Jr. was doing this season as a 21-year-old. At this moment, Ronald Acuna is batting 283. Sure enough, pretty respectable. Slugging 517, that's pretty good. His OPS plus is 121, which tells me, hey, he's 21% better than your league average hitter, right? I dig it. That's, no, that's not elite at this point. Like, 121 is a good OPS, right? But me telling you a 283 batting average and a 121 OPS, right? That doesn't really do it justice. The kid has 37 home runs right now and has 34 stolen bases and we've got I mean when's the last day of the season it ends this month right so what's he maybe have like roughly three weeks dude the he'll hit 40 home runs it's the 40 steals that we don't know yet this is a super exclusive 40 40 home run club and I get it like this is a juice ball era and like for a guy to hit you know 40 home runs whatever listen I don't care how juiced the ball is. This kid is 21 years old. 21. It'll be 22 in December, right? So he's an older 21, but 21 nonetheless. Sit back in your car, at your desk, at your office at work right now and tell me, and be honest, what were you doing when you were 21 years old, right? Probably not being super responsible, dude. Well, Ronald Acuna Jr., outside of not running a pop fly out one time, has been pretty perfect all damn season. And the fact that Juice ball or not, at the age of 21, can be this great of an athlete to hit for power and steal bases and have that sort of speed, dude. I love it right now, dude. This guy's going to be a star, and I think he should be talked about for the MVP running. I'll get to that in a second, but listen to this. The 40-40 club, do you know who the 40-40 club is, right? Okay, so the first guy ever do it was Jose Canseco in 1988. Now, I know, I know Mark McGuire and Jose Canseco, right? They were eject, they were injecting each other in the butt in the Oakland Coliseum bathrooms, right? And if you're going to give steroids to someone and put a needle in someone's body, the can does not seem like the greatest place to do it. I'm pretty sure it's a little germy because two hours before that, Carney Lansford took a big dump, okay? And Jose and Mark just want to go in there and start ejecting each other with steroids when literally, like, Dave Stewart may have had diarrhea because he had some Tex-Mex that acted a little weird on him. I don't really know. But needless to say, Jose Canseco was that first guy. 42 homers, 40 stolen bases, right? So let's just say that Jose had his steroids and Ronald Acuna has his juice ball at this point. And actually, I'm going to look at Canseco's 88 season, but... Jose was the first guy. Barry was the second guy in 1996. Barry's might end up being the most impressive if I click on his stats, right? A-Rod in 98, we know he's a steroid guy, 42. And when I say steroid guy, right, that's no disrespect. I say steroid guy because I'm comparing the eras. Because if you're listening to this, I don't want you to be like, well, Ronald Acuna's got the juice ball. Listen, these guys had their things too, right? They're different eras. And... You have to respect each air and appreciate them, you understand? So A-Rod had 42 home runs and 46 stolen bases. That's a super impressive 40-40 season. Then my guy Alfonso Soriano in 06, 46 home runs. So he had the most home runs out of any 40-40 guy with 41 stolen bases, right? And then that's where we're sitting, dude, with Ronald Acuna at 37 homers and 34 stolen bases. Now, what I want to do right here is I want to compare Ronald Acuna's current season to Jose Canseco's current season. And I think this will be a pretty good comparison is because I know Jose Canseco was on steroids, like no doubt, and 
Ronald Acuna has his juice ball. So that's, I think these make pretty decent comparisons for him, right? So Jose Canseco's 88 season, oh, God, that was his MVP season. He slaughtered it up. It's Honestly, it's not even comparable. Jose hit a 170 OPS, 42 homers, 124 ribbies, and an 88. Oh, boy, Jose Canseco was worth 7.3. Well, well, that backfired. I'm not going to re-edit this podcast. Jose Canseco had a really good 88 season, if you don't know. Um, God, that's an all-time season for an offensive guy, dude. Um, but, I mean, that year, Jose Canseco was pretty much the best player in the whole entire universe at that point. But still be excited about Cunha, even though it might not be as good as Jose Canseco's 1988 season, nobody right now is stealing bases. And Ronald Acuna's 34 steals, they lead the National League. That's impressive, dude. And, you know, this guy, you know, is, is you know, you're looking at the Atlanta Braves roster, dude. Um, he's a stud right now with what he's doing, but he's not the only one, you know, contributing to this, you know, what really the Atlanta Braves have going on right now. But keep an eye for his 40-40 season, dude, because it's looking really good. The rest of the 019 Braves right now, dude, I think Freddie Freeman, you know, whether he's the best first baseman in all of baseball right now, I mean, put your eyes on a 142 OPS plus. So right now as a first baseman, no, wait, right now is just a hitter. No first baseman aside, just a hitter. Freddie Freeman's 42% better than your average hitter, right? He has a 967 OPS. That's what Freddie Freeman's running to. That's high, right? When I look at that OPS number, what's that tell me? Well, when that OPS number's high, like in the nine, 900 to 1,000 range, like if it's 900 or above, that's elite. And that tells me that the guy can get on base and hit for power. And that's what Freddie Freeman's doing right now in his age 29 season. He's batting 300. Freddie's got 38 home runs and 115 ribbies. Dude, this is a team. This is a team to watch out for in the postseason, right? And if I look at, you know, how sort of the season ends right now. Um, it's it's definitely going to be a huge race for the best record of Major League Baseball because whoever in the NL that has the best record, they're going to get the wild card team. And I would say that that wild card team is probably going to be the Washington Nationals because as it sits right now, the Washington Nationals are the first wild card team and they look to be playing really good baseball. And I believe that they'll hold on to that. You know, you've got Scherzer back, Strasburg's really pitching well. And then you have, like, Patrick Corbin, who's pitching pretty good, but then really have, like, Anthony Rendon, who I think, hands down, is the most valuable player in the National League. I believe he'll win it, and I believe it's no question asking. Like, you can debate on it a little bit, but Anthony Rendon's your guy when you look at, you know, the Washington Nationals starting off slow, coming on strong, and really in the second half, Anthony Rendon is arguably the best hitter in all of Major League Baseball, and that includes Mike Trout, so wrap your head around that. But as far as your National League wild card goes, the Washington Nationals have a two-game lead in the wild card, which is still pretty tight, but the Cubs are in second, and then the team left out, it's the Arizona Diamondbacks. They're two and a half games out of the National League wild card, and then the Brewers and the Phillies and the Mets, they're all four games out of the wild card right now. So if you want my expert opinion that's likely to be wrong in three weeks, I truly believe that the Brewers, the Phillies, and the Mets, they're out. I don't think they're in the running. I really think you have to look at the Diamondbacks and the Cubs to take that second spot. But I'm pretty much, I look at the Nationals, and I'm like, they're going to be the wild card team. They're going to be the first wild card team that goes in. Whoever plays them in the um, one-game uh, winner-take-all wild card matchup, which I think is the best thing in all of sports, even if 
you're not a fan of either one of the teams and neither of them are your teams, the one-game wildcard playoff is the greatest thing in all of sports right now. I love that freaking game, man. Just knowing, like, when you're watching it, like, listen, whoever wins this game, they're playing in the postseason, and whoever loses, like, they're going to go golfing or whatever bums do in the offseason, right? So that's what's up, man. They're going to go home and binge-watch workaholics and eat cheese puffs, right? And I'm telling you this right now, I don't care if Max Scherzer has missed time because of a back injury. I'm fairly certain that Max Scherzer is certifiably nuts and if Mike Tyson in his prime were a Major League Baseball player, just psychotic and powerful and knew he could pound your guts in, that guy would be Max Scherzer. Nobody beats him. I don't care who you send to the mound. Who are the Cubs going to send to the mound? Maybe Kyle Hendricks, but I'm pretty sure Max Scherzer is just so scary. I think he'll strike you out and then eat your face like Hannibal Lecter. We got problems here, guys. So the Nationals are going to be the wild card team. I don't really care who wins the second round. I'm a diehard Cubs fan, and the Cubs could do it because I semi-believe that the Washington Nationals are cursed. Like, if you've seen their postseason runs and, like, you know, the Expos left, Montreal, then they became the Washington Nationals. Like, this is prime. This is prime for a curse. Who would it be the curse of, you ask? Ooh, that's a good question. What could be the curse of Pedro Martinez, the curse of Ken Hill, the curse of Cliff Floyd, the curse of Jeff Facero? I don't really know. It could be the curse of Lou Frazier. We, we got to nail this down right now. Who do we want to do it? Well, who was the, I think it's the curse of Marquise Grissom. That's what it is. The Washington Nationals right now are cursed, and it's the curse of Marquise Grissom. And the reason why is because Marquise Grissom was a stud. In 1994, for the Montreal Expos, if you've done your homework and or listened to the podcast, you'll know that Marquise Grissom was a three-sport athlete, had scholarships from three colleges, went to play baseball in 1994, had a historic defensive year, and the Expos would have won the World Series in 1994. At me on Twitter, I believe I'm right, and I believe it in my heart 100%. But after the 1994 season and the strike, they start selling guys. Marquise Grissom left, and he became an Atlanta Brave in 1995. And what happened? The Braves won the World Series and beat the Indians. Who did Marquise Grissom play for the very next year, 1996? I think the Cleveland Indians. And then in 1997, the Cleveland Indians played the Florida Marlins. The Florida Marlins won. Who was on that team? Marquise Grissom. I don't know how this adds up. But the Nationals are in the Marquise Grissom curse right now. And if the Nationals, will they break the Marquise Grissom curse this season? I don't know. But it could happen, and it could happen with Max Scherzer. But it could go either way, dude. Max Scherzer, I, dude, I, I really like Max Scherzer, man. <laughs> They're going to go to the NLDS. And if they go to the NLDS, what I'm saying is, is they have to put up with the Braves, dude. And that's going to be a hell of a matchup because you're going to get eye up on this matchup, dude. If you get the Nationals in the Braves in the the National League Division Series, dude, you have three MVP candidates in the mix. Acuna, Freddie Freeman, Anthony Rendon. Huge matchup as far as pitching is concerned. Strasburg, Scherzer, Patrick Corbin. And then on the Atlanta Braves side with pitching, bro, they're no slouch. They got a cat named Mike Soroka who's pitching to like a 181 ERA plus right now, over 152 innings with a 253 ERA. The starting pitching over here for these cats is young, bro. You got Mike Soroka at 21, 
who's just looking like a white Pedro Martinez, right? Like, dude, really close to it, man. If you look at Pedro for the 1994 Expos, he was like a 23-year-old kid who just came on the scene and was dealing and doing work. And Mike Soroka sort of, that guy's 20, he's 21 years old, but he's got 11 wins, only three losses, right? I like the wins. I'm a huge fan of wins and losses, man, because it tells me the guy can go out there and he can give you his all for quite a while, dude. So I love his 14 decisions, but the fact that he's got a 253 ERA, bro, I dig it. I don't know if he's on so, some sort of innings limit. Let's hope not. Max Freed, he's 25, but he looks like he's about 21. Guys running a 386 ERA. His numbers more resemble what Pedro's did in 94, dude. But either way, my guy's pitching at a 119 ERA. Plus, I dig it, dude. Mike Fultonevich. Mike Fultonevich was the Atlanta Braves' ace last season. You understand? And he was hurt this year, man. So a little bit, he came back, man. And Mike Fultonevich like sort of sucked. But I think he might, I think he's put together some pretty decent starts recently. To be honest with you, I don't know. Let's look at his game logs real quick. Because Fulton Evich was a good guy, dude. He's a right-handed pitcher. I think he's like 26, he's 27 years old. He throws pretty hard. He was a first-round pick. I think he throws like 98 or 99. Mike Fulton Evich does. His last few starts, dude, five innings, no runs. He's got seven inning, one run against the Mets, who are a hot in-division team. He, uh, Mike Fulton Evich pitched against the Dodgers on... August 17th went seven innings and two earned, right? So if you look at Mike fulton numbers, they don't look pretty right now, but he, he's been hurt, dude, so he's coming back. So when you look, right, at this Atlanta Braves-Washington uh, Nationals matchup, if we get it, you've got those studs over there for the Nationals, but then for the uh, for the Atlanta Braves, you got Max Fried, Mike fulton Mike Soroka, but then you got Julio Tehran, who is pitching about like the second best pitcher on this team and has been lights out lately. And then you got Dallas Keuchel, who sits out half of the season and has thrown 90 innings at a 347 ERA, bro. Keuchel's not letting the fact that he was sitting at home for the half of the season, bro, get to him, man. There are no cobwebs up in that mix, dude. Whatever he did worked because he's pitching good. He had a start like two days ago where he pitched against the Nationals, and I think was like six innings no earned. Six innings, he had a lot of hits, like six or seven hits, but I don't think he walked anybody and gave up no earned runs, and the Nats have been on fire, dude. So that is a huge matchup to watch coming into the postseason, no doubt about it. All right, all right, listen, let's get into the next thing, and this is a super interesting topic for me, so hopefully it doesn't put you to sleep, but MVP voting, okay? I'm I'm pretty sure like the American League MVP is going to be Mike Trout because the way he's playing is just so far beyond anyone. But it still brings up a valid point of when choosing or voting or as fans who just sit at home and yell at our TVs all the time, who do we want to yell at to be MVP? And whoever that person is, do they need to be on a team that goes to the postseason, right? I think historically it's always been voted that way, but you know, with all these advanced stats and things like that, and especially when like Mike Trout came along because he's he might be an alien, I'm not 100% sure, you, you look at him and he, he sort of changed things because all of a sudden here's this guy that's just doing otherworldly things and he has to get MVP, but his team's no good and they don't go to the postseason, so how do we deal with that right now? And, you know, I've had conversations with other folks lately about it. I tend to believe I I want the MVP to make the postseason, right? So, for example, when you look at Christian Yelich's season last year, he came on strong in the second half, and the Milwaukee Brewers stormed back and actually won the division and ended up being one game away from the World Series. Now, 
MVP voting and MVP consideration doesn't include and it's not supposed to include like what happens in the postseason, right? So you're truly looking at the regular season, but when you evaluate it and you just looked at Christian Yelich's 2018 season, it's sort of like, wow. Like he brought these Brewers to like a whole nether place, sort of like what CeCe did with them. And that was in CeCe Sabathia was traded to the Brewers, I think in 08 and had all those crazy starts. Do you remember where, dude, I think he threw like eight complete games or something. I don't want to get off track, but Look that up if you haven't, dude. CeCe Sabathia was unreal when he got traded to the Brewers from the Indians. Yeah, and then after that, he signed his free agent contract with the Yankees. I know it was a Yankee in 09. I won't go too far, but what do you think? You're listening to this podcast right now, so shout it out in your car, in your office, or whatever. Does a most valuable player win, or do they need to go to the postseason and help lead their team to the postseason? And to me, I feel like that's sort of the debate right now, right? My favorite, my MVP candidate, the guy that I would vote for, and the guy I most definitely think should win it, at this point is Anthony Rendon. And it's for a few reasons. Reason number one, at the All-Star break, the Washington Nationals were five games above 500 at 47 and 42. As it stands right now, if my math is correct, they are 16. They're 16 games above 500 right now and look to be the definite. They're going to win, you know, take the first wild card spot which means in the wild card game they'll have home field advantage so they've got a chance to play a wild card game have home field advantage and have Maxwell Scherzer pitch it okay and it's sort of a bummer when you got to use your ace in that situation but the the Nationals are pretty deep and their offense is really rolling right now I want to say like two or three weeks ago they had a stretch where they scored 90 runs like in 10 games or something it was unreal so I look at that and I'm like well I sort of have that storyline that we had last year with the Brewers coming on strong at the, you know, late in the season and, you know, post all-star break, man, the Nationals have really done it post all-star break. The Nationals have been one of the best teams in baseball, no doubt about it. And then, but when I dig into Anthony Rendon's post all-star break numbers, dude, they're, they're sort of unreal. Truth be told, if you go to fan graphs and you look at Anthony Rendon's second half stats, besides home runs really he's um better he's played better than Mike Trout and that's to say someone over any stretch has played better than Mike Trout is the ultimate compliment right it's the Rolex of compliments it's the chocolate fudge pop tart of compliments it's the greatest thing I think anyone could ever say to you right it's like you know when I'm out in public and people are like hey man you look like Justin Timberlake and I know they mean like I look like Justin Timberlake's like ugly older brother who sort of like resembles him but got kicked by a mule when he was a kid and things just didn't pan out for him. And now he's just a little off upstairs. I get it, but I still appreciate the comment. And when you look at Anthony Rendon, dude, he's batting 385 in the second half. Mike Trout's only batting 274. But a key, key numbers that really, you know, set this one down is like, Mike Trout has 17 home runs since the All-Star break. Rendon has 12, right? But slugging percentage, Mike Trout's slugging 643, but Rendon's slugging 630. Weighted runs created plus, which tells you, like, listen, does this guy, is he helping his team score runs? And if so, how much? Mike Trout has a 174 WRC plus. I'm not 100% sure what that means, but it's the fourth highest since the All-Star break. And... Oh, actually, it's not the fourth highest since the All-Star break. Hold on. 
Hold on. I may have just told you wrong. Oh, I, I got my stats all messed up because I don't have qualified for the batting title here. Hold on. Let me just tell you these appropriate rankings real quick. Second half, weighted runs created plus. Oh, Anthony Rendon is fourth with 181 weighted runs created plus. Fourth in all of baseball, right? So that means Anthony Rendon creating runs for his team. Dude, he's really, really good at it, right? And that's a high number, right? You know, let's put this into some perspective real quick. Let's give you, hey, Jose, we talked about Jose Canseco earlier. Because a lot of these, like, new, like, data stats, like WRC+, plus, I don't know if the hell. I mean, I know it's the fourth best in the league, but is that good or not? I don't really know. I know 330 is a good batting average, but when you tell me 181 WRC+, plus, I'm like, oh, what the freak does that mean, right? I almost cussed. <laughs> um, here's what I'll tell you what's up, man. And, oh, I'm going to tell you Jose Canseco's 1988 WRC+, plus, and that'll give us a little bit of perspective, right? Because I just talked about how that was one of the greatest seasons of the 80s. Hold on. Check this out, man. Okay, so Jose Canseco's 1988 season with the 42 homers and the 40 stolen bases and the steroid injections in the bathroom just after Carney Lansford ate some weird Tex-Mex and got diarrhea all over the place, germs in the air. You understand what I'm saying? In 1988, Jose Canseco's weighted runs created plus was 169. Bro, he was a brute, a brute that year. Best player on the planet in 88. Remember that number, 169 WRC+. plus. Since the All-Star break, Anthony Rendon has a 181 WRC+. plus, So you could easily say post-All-Star break, Anthony Rendon is better than Jose Canseco's 1988-40-40 season. It's phenomenal. And that is better than Mike Trout. Mike Trout is seventh in baseball at 172. So he's better at Mike Trout right now, and he's better than Jose Canseco's 88-40-40 season. Let's do roids together, right? I'm really slaughtering that joke. I won't say it again. I'm so sorry. I think I'm funny, and I'm not. But phenomenal season, dude. So when you look at Anthony Rendon, and I'm like, all right, he's better than 88 Canseco. He's playing. He's offensively, he's worth more than Mike Trout right now in the second half of the season. And as it turns out, per Fangraphs, Fangraphs has this offensive rating. Anthony Rendon is the most valuable offensive player in the second half of the season with a 385 batting average, with a 459 on base percentage. But check this out. One of the most impressive things, dude, I feel like with any baseball player is when they strike out as much as they walk and the numbers are actually low. Anthony Rendon only has a walk percentage of 10.7%. That's not huge, right? Mike Trout runs like 15.9, but that's a, that's a good enough walk percentage, right? I'll take it. But Anthony Rendon strikes out 10.7% of the time. So he's a low strikeout guy, dude. And he strikes out and walks about the same. That's huge, man, because when you get to the postseason, dude, he's not going to strike. He He's less likely to strike out in a big game moment, and he can take a walk. But his batting average is also high, dude. And he's an all-around hitter, man. When you look at Rendon and you're like second half, like, bro, he's only got 12 home runs. Dude, Anthony Rendon isn't out here benefiting from the juiced ball, right? Like, I want to say right now, like, Kyle Schwarber's, like, in the second half, Kyle Schwarber is, like, a top 25 hitter in all of baseball, right? And I feel like a lot of that's because of the juice ball because he's sort of like Adam Dunn. I don't really know, but I, I can tell you this. Anthony Rendon just screams like this guy is a hitter. He's not out here benefiting from a juice ball. I mean, this is all around stuff. 12 homers. 52 RBIs, which might be the most in the second half in all of Major League Baseball. So he's driving guys in. He must be hitting pretty good 
when it comes to, you know, runners in scoring position and stuff like that. And he's actually a pretty damn good defender, too. So Rendon's my MVP guy because of what he's doing for his team and just because of how good he is, dude. Like, I feel like if you took Anthony Rendon off of his team, the Nationals would sort of get significantly worse. So when it does come to the MVP conversation, like, unless you're Mike Trout just being Superman, like... You know, the National League seems to me pretty clear-cut, man. I really, when I when I pick an MVP in the Sweet Bee Studios, which means absolutely nothing to nobody but myself and a few of you desperate people listening to this podcast because you just don't have anything else to do. <laughs> um, dude, Rendon's got it, man. And I love a player, right, that is just so good that you can see him helping his team. And I know there's... You know, it's just not him because his team has really good pitching and stuff like this. But for a guy to have a such strong second half and his team have a strong second half, bro, I can't help but be like, I really feel like that guy should be MVP, man. And to me right now, like, you know, second half numbers, to me, like, Christian Yelich isn't there. So Christian Yelich was definitely the MVP of the league last year. But right now he's probably, like, post-All-Star break the 11th best hitter in all of baseball and his and that sort of shows like in his team because I mean the Brewers are just falling out of it day by day um I mean those are you know those are pretty much my guys man Cody Bellinger obviously dude Cody Bellinger's had a phenomenal phenomenal season post all-star break okay here's the thing man Post-All-Star break, Cody Bellinger has like 14 home runs. So that's two more than Anthony Rendon. But post-All-Star break, you know, down the stretch, Bellinger's hitting like 256. And I'm sort of just like, as far as his offensive worth, if you look at fan graphs, it's sort of comparable to Mike Yastrzemski on the San Francisco Giants, right? If you like look at their numbers, Cody Bellinger is actually... Crap on me. Cody Bellinger has nearly the exact same stats that Mike Yastrzemski has for the San Francisco Giants. And that's no diss to, like, Mike Yastrzemski, but Mike Yastrzemski is post-All-Star break really has produced better offensive stats than what Cody Bellinger is. And Fangraphs actually has him rated higher as a better offensive player post-second half than Bellinger. But so because that Bellinger has dropped off in the second half and his team is still doing really good, that's where, like, I sort of fall in that story of, like, well, Bellinger's doing really good. If Bellinger had kept up, like, his beginning part of the season to the whole season and hit, like, 55 home runs and batted 380, he gets it, dude. Even though if you took him off his team, they would still go to the postseason and whatever. Like, I get that. He would, he would get the award hands down. But because of that drop-off, that drop-off doesn't necessarily make him not be MVP because this is a 162-game season, and there's always going to be a drop-off no matter how good of an athlete you are just because of just the grinding 162-game season, playing ball in July and August when, you know, you could cook scrambled eggs on the field without a burner. I mean, that is, like, super – I mean, it's scorching, dude, so – Cody Bellinger, this is still an MVP-worthy season. He'll probably be second in MVP voting. Voting. That's where I think he should be. And what I'm saying is this. Just because a guy does worse in the second half than he does in the first half, you have to take his overall contributions into play and his overall statistics. And right now, Cody Bellinger's are really high. 
Guy's probably got like 43 home runs, and he's batting probably 310. Right? Those are really good numbers. But to me, what does it for Bellinger and what makes me not choose him to be MVP is his drop-off combined with Anthony Rendon's surge and the Washington Nationals actually being players. I think they'll be huge players in the postseason this year because of their offense, which is headed and led by Anthony Rendon and their pitching staff. Man, the Nationals are the real deal, and truth be told, you know, if you take the Nationals this year and look at all the other previous seasons where they won the division and didn't really do that well in the postseason, you know, not making it past the divisional series, truth be told, this year the Nationals might have a better team than they've had in the last six or seven years just because of the things they've been through, the makeup of the guys, and, you know, where they're at maturity-wise. Dude, I really dig this team right now, 100%. Shoot, all right, guys. Well, I think I'm just going to end this episode here. We're about the 32-minute mark. I think we've got some good baseball stuff going. Thank you so much for listening to the podcast. I hope it brightens your day just a little bit. And get excited for the playoffs, you know. I'm going to record again tomorrow, which will probably be about another 30-minute episode. You know, I don't want to make them too long. And, you know, we'll talk some more playoff ball. I'd like to talk about Justin Verlander a little bit and, like, some really good historic pitching if we can. But other than that, dude, thanks so much for listening, guys. I'll catch you. I guess I'll catch you guys tomorrow. Right on. Take care.